Would you pray with me? My Father, we come to you trusting and rejoicing that you are our Father through Jesus Christ and that you will answer us as promised. Father, you do this with as much readiness and more readiness than our earthly parents. And we trust that we may expect from your almighty power all things necessary for body and soul. Hear us, Father as we pray. We pray that you would enable us rightly to know and reverence and magnify and praise you in all your works through which shine forth your power, your wisdom, your goodness, your justice, your mercy, and truth. We pray that you would enable us to order our whole life in thought, in word, and work that your name may never be blasphemed, but honored and praised on our account. We pray that you would preserve and increase your church. We pray for this congregation. We pray for the churches in Greenville. We pray that you would so govern us by your word and spirit that we may Submit ourselves unto you always more and more. We pray that you would destroy the works of the devil, destroy every power that exalts itself against you, and destroy all the wicked devices formed against your holy word until the full coming of your kingdom where you shall be all in all. Father, grant that we and all people here in our country, the nations, the leaders, around the world. We pray that we all may renounce our own will and yield ourselves to you, to your will, which alone is good, so that everyone may fulfill their task and calling as willingly and truly as the angels do in heaven. Father, be pleased to provide for all, all our bodily needs and for those down who are suffering disease and illness, who are ailing, the poor, the penniless. Father, we pray for all in need that you would do these things, that thereby we might know that you are the only fountain of all good and place our trust in you alone. Father, we pray that you would be pleased for the sake of Christ to forgive our transgressions and evil. And as we find this witness of your grace in us, may our full purpose be to heartily forgive our neighbor. Lord, forgive them. Forgive us. And give us renewed willingness to forgive and pursue reconciliation. Father, since we are weak in ourselves, then we cannot stand even for a moment while our deadly enemies, the devil, the world, our own flesh, assail us without ceasing, be pleased to preserve and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may stand firm against them until we come off at last with complete victory. 
All this we ask of you as our King who has power over all things. You are both willing and able to give us all good. And thereby we long for your holy name to be glorified now and into eternity. We praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you will stand with me for a reading of God's word. Our reading comes from Philippians 3. And I'll just read our section again. It's 7 through 14. Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, that I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you speak to us. We pray that by this word this morning that you would kill us. Lord, we pray that by this word you would raise us up. Strengthen us. Comfort us. Convict us. Use this word to conform us to the image of your Son. In his name we do pray all these things. Amen. Please be seated. I'm sorry, if I don't do this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in trouble. Hang on. Just one moment. Forgot my water. I'm serious. That would have hurt if I would have not. I'm sorry. sorry. So how was your week in the flesh? How was it? Did you, did you experience your week in the flesh? Okay. Did anybody else have to get your brakes changed? Okay. Did anybody else have to get a new heating and cooling unit? 
Okay, yeah, thank you. Right. Like we, we experience the weak in the flesh. We all did. For some of us, it was a harder week than others. You know a family that was touched by death this week. In a horrific way. Last week, we looked at the first eight verses of Philippians 3. Tried to put it in real simple terms, right? We put no confidence in the flesh because God, because God gives us something better. And the something better, as we saw, was the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That was the something better. Remember that knowing wasn't just having data, right? data points to store away in the file. That's not all that knowing is. Knowing is this intimate connection. It's this sort of deep, personal relationship with Christ. It's experiential knowing. That's the knowing that Paul is referring to. Now, how does knowing Christ Jesus enable us to let go of the confidence that we are pulled towards in the flesh? We're all, we, all, we all do that. We're all pulled towards confidence in the flesh. We feel the yank and the urge to return there, to go back to it over and over again. All of us do that. What is that experience of Christ, that intimate connection, that breaks the flesh's hold on us and our hold on the flesh? What does that? Two things that we'll look at today does that. Union and participation. Union and participation. Two big words. In these two ways, and this is what I want you to hear, and we're going to unpack this, right? In these two ways, union and participation, Christ turns the flesh into a place of intimate connection with Him. First of all, say you experience union with him. Look at verse 8. We're at the last part of verse 8, right? You know, it says, in order that I may gain Christ, and then the first part of verse 9, and be found in him. Right? Gaining here, and you can see this, plays off of what he said earlier. Whatever, gain, whatever was gained to me, right? whatever was gained to Paul, he counted it all as loss. Right? He lost that gain to have the true gain, which was Christ. He knew Christ was better. So he traded what he had for him. And in this verse, we link these two, the last part of eight and the first part of nine, because what we're seeing now is 
gaining Christ, what that is, what, what sort of unpacks that a little bit more, because Paul loves to do this, to say something and then say something that clarifies the something that he just said. Gaining Christ, what that's all about is being found in Him. Found in Him, right? That's a preposition, the metaphor, in Him. We weren't in Him, and now... We're in Him. Being in Christ is the only place to be. To be out of Christ means hopelessness. It means helplessness. It means a, a lack of safety. In Christ is the only safe place to be. our only hope, being in Him, being united to Him, being incorporated in Him. And then in the rest of verse 9, Paul tells us why. Look at the rest of verse 9 there. Be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on on faith. It really sounds better when you read it literally. You really get a sense of like sort of the, the balance here, right? So, so we'll do this again, the spatial thing. So we'll get on this side, and then we've got the butt, and then we've got over here, right? So over here, what we have, okay, literally, is not having my righteousness, that from the law. That's over here. That's you people. Okay, I'm kidding. And you're not. Not having, not having my righteousness, that from the law, but, right, that through faith in Christ, or literally it's that, hang on, let me read it. Where is it? That through faith of Christ, and then I love this one, the from God righteousness which is based on faith. I love that. The from God righteousness. So, we've got that over here. This is that my righteousness from the law, that from the law, that through faith of Christ, the from God righteousness. This is why being incorporated into Christ is so important. Paul doesn't want that righteousness. And righteousness here, this idea of being in right relationship with God. Paul doesn't want it that way. Because that way, right, the old covenant way, that doesn't work. It's gone. It's found its point of resolution, of fulfillment in Christ he sees that now. Remember, the, resurrection, the resurrected Lord appeared to him. He sees that now. He doesn't want that. The way of the law, the way of the flesh. He wants the way of right relationship with God that's from God. Right? We can't trust 
the way of the flesh as our hope, though we try it over and over again. We can't trust that. To be in right relationship with God, to have hope, to have Him, to have the one who is the creator of all things, to have the one, the only one that matters, to be in right relationship with Him is to be found in Christ. And we enter into that right relation by faith in Christ. That is, we trust in Christ. Why? We trust in Christ because of His faithfulness. His obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's Philippians 2.8. We're going to come back to that. That obedience through the, what the theological term, through His humiliation, His birth, all of His life, and His death. All of it. All of it. We trust in that, His faithfulness. Not our faithfulness. Not our faith. Let me make that distinction. Faith is instrumental. It's not because of your faith. It's because of the object, the person that your trust is in. It's His faithfulness. And we're incorporated into that. Our union, we get in on that stuff. His faithfulness. But here's the thing. Having gained Christ, having been found in Him, you know what? I'm still encased in flesh. You're still encased in flesh. You're surrounded by flesh. It's all over the place, right? Fleshly people, fleshly communities, fleshly institutions. It's everywhere. Flesh is. But to borrow from John, you are in the flesh, but not of the flesh. Right? We're still in the flesh. We're not of it, right? We're in Him. But in Him, we're surrounded by it all around. So it's here in the flesh that we get to the second thing, right? You experience union with Him. Now we get to this. Right here, in the flesh, you experience participation in Him. And your participation in Christ is both present and future. And I want to start with the present, and that's where we'll spend most of our time. Look at verse 10. It says, That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and share, uh, share His sufferings, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. 
really what's being said here, and again, it's, and some of your translations will, will say this, it's not may share in as though that's a verb. It's actually a noun. It's fellowship of his sufferings. Right? And knowing is not something, it's, you know, it says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Knowing him is not something different than that. Really what he's saying here, that knowing him, okay, here's how that bangs out. Here's what that's like. Here's what you, what, what you experience as you know him. Two things, power of his resurrection, fellowship of his sufferings, conformity to his death. And these, these two go together in some surprising ways, and I want you to really hear this. Because I think that, well, I don't know, it may help. We experience the resurrected Christ. Now that's, you need to get that. You experience the resurrected Christ by the power that comes to us through his resurrection. It's his resurrection. He's referencing Christ's historical resurrection. You experience, you participate in that resurrection by the power that comes to us through his resurrection. You've come to know that power by being made alive in him. That's, that's what has to happen for us to get him. Remember, in the same way that Paul was blind to who Christ was until Christ showed up, resurrected Lord, boom. He didn't see until that. Neither do you. You know that resurrected power by being made alive. You experience that power of his resurrection, right? Which we, we can sort of connect this dot to the other parts of Paul through the power of his spirit, right? Spirit poured out, indwelling. You got nothing without the Spirit. And you continue to know that power as you're empowered to live. Now, we tend to like resurrection power. Yay! Right? But here's the thing. What does that look like? Resurrection life. What does it look like when that power is manifest? Paul gives the outlines in the next clause. The fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. As one writer put it, this is where we get into the intimate part of intimate knowing. You participate in his resurrection, right? power of his resurrection, you participate in the sufferings 
of Christ and his death. It's interesting, right? That, hmm, okay, resurrection comes before suffering. We kind of get that because we need the power of the resurrection if suffering is going to mean anything. But it's more than that. It's not that you have resurrection and then there's this suffering that you have to put up with along the way. I think that's kind of the way that we normally think about it. Maybe, right? Well, you know, I, you know, there's all this garbage I got to sift through, but I got here. I got to some good stuff. I'll just sort of wade through this because I'll come to this, right? I mean, some of you at work, you go to work and you, you deal with there's stuff you don't like and just mundane and yucky. But, you know, then there's this other stuff that you do that's really fulfilling. Ooh, right, right. So I'm willing to put up with this other stuff so that I get this thing. Okay, that's not what he's talking about. It's not resurrection. And then there's this suffering that you have to deal with and then you get to it. And it isn't simply, it isn't simply that you have the power of his resurrection and it strengthens you through suffering. That's true, but it's not simply that. It's kind of a variation on the other thing, the other theme. I got to go through this garbage, but God's strengthening me to get me through it. We still kind of wonder, okay, but why I got to go through it? Okay, here we go. Rather this, we realize the power of his resurrection in this way. I'm quoting from a writer, Richard Gaffinite. We realize the power of his resurrection in this way, just as the fellowship of his sufferings in conformity to his death. The fellowship of his sufferings, the conformity to his death, that is the way that we experience the power of his resurrection. So I want to put together how these two fit a little bit more clearly. First of all, this makes some sense given what he's already said in Philippians 2, 6 through 11. But let me just quote Philippians 2, 5 through 8. I want you to hear this difference, right? There are a few words that link Philippians 2, 5 through 11 with this passage that we're in right now. Listen to these words. Just listen. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count Equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's the life of Jesus that Paul is pointing to. And that life 
is precisely what the power of his resurrection produces. Life conformed to the cross. So let me say it this way, right? So you got Jesus, form of God, morphe, that's the Greek word, now you're impressed. Morphe, right? Jesus, form of God, he didn't count. Remember Paul said, I counted all things. The same word, count. He didn't count, right, this equality with God, a thing to be seized for his own advantage. That's the idea, right? He's not like these gods that the Greeks talk about and they're throwing around their power. He shows us what God is really like. That's what Paul is saying. Jesus, form of God, didn't count a thing to be seized for his own advantage. He took the form, morphe, of a servant, and he found as a human he's obedient to death. So here, Paul and you, being found in Christ, count anything other than Christ, loss, being conformed. Same root, morphe, but formed with his death. You don't get verbal linkages that are much better than that. Showing this parallel. We walk the same path that Christ walked. When resurrection life shows up, that's what it looks like. I'll give you a better picture of this. Right? And this gets at this dynamic. This dynamic between resurrection life and fellowship with his sufferings. Second Corinthians 4, 7 through 11. I love this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we live, excuse me, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal body. Here is the picture. You are a little clay jar. Clay jars, this picture, this, the picture here is one of fragility. Clay jars, knock them over, right? Drop them on the floor. Right? Have you ever done that? You dropped it, oh, but you, you caught it with your foot and it didn't quite hit the ground, but it goes on the ground and rolls around. You've got this clay jar, breaks a little bit here and there, piecing it back together. It's got these cracks, it's got these chips. But you know what happens with that clay jar? It's got this bright light inside that starts to poke out, shoot out of those cracks and the fissures and the chips. 
that's what's happening here. That's what's going on. This jar of clay that you're in, why do I have to go through all this stuff? Because it shows the power of God. It puts on display His power. It manifests to all, including you, the life of Jesus. The chips, the cracks, the little fissures. Welcome to the fellowship of His sufferings. The death of Christ you carry around in your body. It is so that it has a purpose. It has a meaning. It's not incidental. This is how resurrection life gets manifested in this mortal flesh in conformity to his death. Okay, let me give you one more. I can see that I haven't gotten all of you bored. This one I love. It's also in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12. Some of you have memorized this, right? Jesus says to Paul, right? He's like, oh, I got this thing going on with me. Yeah, yuck. He's talking about yucky stuff, right? Living in the flesh. And Jesus says, My grace is sufficient for you. But listen to this. Here's, here's, here's why. For my power is made perfect in weakness. My power, Paul, is fully experienced. My power comes into its own in weakness. It's not an option. It's not in spite of weakness. It's not aside from weakness. It is in weakness. In weakness. And then I love, and now you get what Paul is saying. You get why he can say this. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Paul says, okay, if that's the case, bring them on. Let me know it. This, this power, let me know it. Bring on the weaknesses. If that's the way that it comes, then I want to know weakness. I will. Look how weak I am. Look at this. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Power of Christ doesn't rest on you in spite of weakness, aside from weakness. In another way, other than weakness, it is in weakness. In weakness that you come to know that.
the form that resurrection life takes. The form of resurrection life. The shape of resurrection life is the cross. That's how you know it. Power of his resurrection known in the fellowship of his sufferings. And just as it is, well, real quickly, what we know from Paul's list. Oh, oh, Paul says this. I'm sorry, I missed this part. He says, for the sake of Christ, then, this is nuts. For the sake of Christ, I am content. See what it does to him? He's, bring it on. I will boast in my weaknesses. And more than that, I am content. 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 With weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. We know from this list, both passages, and from the life of Jesus, that the fellowships, that the, the fellowship of his sufferings is all of it. All of it. What I mean by that is fellowship of his sufferings is not simply suffering for Jesus. Persecution is not just incurring loss because of the gospel. It's not limited to martyrdom. Certainly includes that. But you, saw, you heard his list. And Christ's humiliation was the whole thing. Not just, it wasn't just that once he got up, you know, once he, you know, you know, all the bad stuff started when it's 33, right? I, other than that, it was great. It was a great life other than that. No, no, it was a complete party. No, all of it. The sufferings of Christ. The indignities, that is hostilities and reproach. But also infirmities. Hunger, thirst, weariness, grief, poverty, want, and temptations, right? Temptations from Satan. Christ experienced it all, all of it, the sufferings of Christ. And here's the thing. Here's what we're saying. Here's what I'm saying. Is that as you experience those same realities that he experienced in the fallen world, and you do, Weakness, vulnerability, lack, loss, and death. All of them you experience. As you experience those things, as you live in a world shot through with futility, and it is weakness, vulnerability, lack, loss, and death. All of it. As you do that, as one who belongs to Him, as one who serves Him, as one who boasts in him, as one who clings to him, you experience, you participate in the fellowship of his sufferings. 
what you come to know in that is an intimate bond with him. I mean, that's sort of what, you know this, this is what happens. You go through something really hard with somebody, and there's this bond that you have with them, this connection. Let me ask you this. What do you imagine that it might have been like for you to be standing there, one who Paul was about to persecute, and for Jesus, the risen Lord, to show up and for him to say, why are you persecuting me? He was, he was about to attack me, Lord, but you're saying that's him attacking you? We're bound together like that? Like, you really do know this stuff that I go through. Yeah, this fellowship in my sufferings. That's what this stuff means, fellowship with my sufferings. People of God, this is how you know him now. Now. I'm saying this because our tendency is to want something else. Some folks, you start to follow Christ and you go, well, this was a, a real ripoff. I thought I would, I'm never going to have to buy any clothes or shoes. It just wasn't going to wear out anymore. Right? And even when, even when you get sick and you're made well, well, that didn't last long. I got sick again. And, and, even when, and even when we're sick to the point of death and he intervenes and heals. Well, that's great, but we kind of only get to enjoy that until the thought occurs to us that, oh, but well, it's still going to die. <laughs> what is this about? It is the way that we know him. This is the strange thing. Tasting my weaknesses deepens my intimacy with him. With him. Because it is the fellowship of his sufferings. I don't look for the power of his resurrection to somehow, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day, to somehow you know, make me to walk on air above the fray. 
but rather, and, and the power of his resurrection doesn't simply give me the strength to walk into the fray. No, I know that in the fray is where the power of the resurrection actually gets shown off. It actually gets pressed into life in the fray, in this stuff, in the weakness. Real quick, that's not all, though. All of this pointed Paul toward the future. He is content now. You notice he still longs for then. For then. He says this in verse 11. That by any means possible, I may, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Or literally, it just simply says this. If somehow I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul wasn't saying that as a form of uncertainty. Well, you know, hopefully it'll happen. That's not what he's saying. Because right? Christ died already and rose. That's the first fruits, right? Christ is like a wave. Christ's death and resurrection is the, the peak of the wave. Well, you know what's coming after that? The resurrection of everybody else, right? All of us. Right? That he's the first fruit. So that doesn't work. It's not uncertainty. What he's saying, however, I mean, what he's saying is this, however it happens, however it happens, whether I'm in prison or whether I'm free, whether persecution or whether I just die of old age, now or later, whichever it is, resurrection from the dead. That's what I want. Why did he want that? It wasn't just to get out of this. It wasn't just to get out of this. Out of the fleshy existence. It was for something more. Listen to this, last thing he Verse 20 of chapter 3 says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. You know why, Jesus, why Paul wanted resurrection? You know why? Because then, then, there would be a fullness, not a comprehensiveness, not an, not an exhaustive experience, but there would be a fullness to knowing Christ. He wanted to see Him. His whole life it didn't stop. His whole life was about knowing Christ. If you leave here remembering anything, just kind of remember this, right? And I love this. Richard Gaffin said this. We're encircled by resurrection. Christ is raised we're raised with him, we'll be raised. 
And in that circle is suffering. Resurrection. Resurrection. It informs our life. It shapes our life from the beginning. Raised with Christ. Right? It informs our life as we move through here in the flesh. And it informs what we hope for, what pulls us along or draws us ahead. All of it, all of it, all of it is knowing Christ. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the work that you have accomplished for us in your Son. We thank you that what we come to know is Him. I pray that you would strengthen us, Lord, that you would reshape, retool our understanding of what matters in this life. Help us to, to, to retool our understanding of the weakness that we experience being in the flesh here. Lord, train, train our minds. May we by faith see Christ in it all. And Lord, I pray that we would come to know the comfort, the encouragement, and the strength that that provides. And Father, I pray that we would look ahead, that we would long for Him, to see Him, to see Him face to face, to know Him more. In Christ's name we pray, amen.